Welcome to the Milk and Motherhood podcast, where we're having an ongoing conversation about breastfeeding, postpartum, parenthood, the challenges these can present, and the hope we have for overcoming them. I'm your host, Therese Dansby. I'm a registered nurse, international board-certified lactation consultant, and homeschooling mom of three. I believe that navigating the rough waters of early motherhood with wisdom, grace, and humility can grow each of us into the mothers we long to be. Welcome back to the Milk and Motherhood podcast after the holiday. Today's episode is with Lauren Sophia. She works with women in the preconception period as well as during pregnancy and postpartum. Her Instagram handle is at innate underscore fertility. She has so many helpful posts there, particularly on isolated nutrients that we talk about like choline and vitamin A. Uh, Her website is innatefertility.org, and she also has her own podcast called the Innate Wisdom Podcast. You guys, this is a great conversation, and I am having major growing pains with my editing. I managed to chop off the beginning of our conversation. I'm pretty meticulous with it, and I'm not sure what's happening between saving that last edit and then uploading it into the episode. So please forgive me. Lauren introduces herself and we just dive right into what she does. Fertility, preconception, all the way through pregnancy and postpartum. And then again, uh, because postpartum is oftentimes a preconception period too, surprisingly, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, if you you plan on having more children. So um, my goal is to help women with all of that and men as well. with all their fertility in terms of preconception. I feel like it's a super under-resourced area and currently working really hard to uh, create more resources for men in preconception. Um, But yeah, I I primarily focus on helping really to empower men and women to take charge of their health and arm them with tools and knowledge to optimize their fertility, to step into one of the most important phases of their life in a really strong and kind of just like the best version of themselves Um, because there's so much that can be done to set yourself up for a really good pregnancy and postpartum and you know also support that healthy growth and development of your baby Uh, but that happens from the moment of conception so all the work leading up to that moment can be super helpful in also reducing pregnancy complications helping you recover more quickly postpartum setting your child up for a healthy life, but also it ripples into future generations as well. So uh, I like to focus on that a lot, um, specifically preconception, but also these other phases, uh, but specifically preconception because it's like you get a three for one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, we have lost kind of that, first of all, that ancestral wisdom for the preconception period. Um, Now it's just like, Oh, you get off the pill and you get pregnant and people are kind of shocked to find it doesn't work super well that way every time that or like it's just they're entering pregnancy in like a super frazzled state like mm-hmm. I'm oh my gosh like ah, mm-hmm. super stressed yeah and and parenting just requires so much of you even from a nervous system standpoint I think I was not prepared for that um mm-hmm. just Oh man, if you don't know how to kind of bring yourself back down, you know, whether physically or emotionally, um, it's really hard to, to get your kid to kind of come back to earth when their feelings are really big. So yeah, um, yeah I just love everything you've been sharing and, um, and your course, which we'll talk about later too, Conscious Conception. So I started actually, my journey into the sort of health and wellness space started with my experience with the birth control pill. So I was on the birth control pill for eight years. And through that time, I developed prediabetes, melasma, subclinical hypothyroidism, uh, candida, and an autoimmune disease, amongst Mm -hmm. many other things. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I decided to come off the pill, I experienced something called post-birth control syndrome. And the only solutions I was being offered were to get back on the pill or to take different hormone uh, affecting uh, medications. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I was just, I kind of felt helpless and knew that if I was going to help myself, I was going to have to 
take things into my own hands. So I took responsibility for my health from that point on and did my own research and changed my nutrition and lifestyle. And I was able to heal all those things, the candida, subclinical hypothyroidism, melasma, um, my autoimmune disease went away or it's in remission. They don't technically ever <laughs> cure themselves, but it's in remission. And um, uh, what else did I say? Um, my prediabetes also went away. Mm. And I also, in the process, healed my lifelong asthma. Mm. And after that, uh, which I had been taking medication for, for almost 20 years. So, mm-hmm. um, or over 20 years. And after that, I was like, I, I thought I had found gold. I needed to help more people with this because I felt like not enough people knew that this was an option to, mm-hmm. and it was a more natural option. And it was probably one that would work for a lifetime rather than just putting a bandaid on it, uh, which, you know, I was on that hamster wheel for, for decades. So, um, that's kind of how I got into it. And, um, and now I'm focusing specifically on fertility. I think that a lot of people can agree with that story. They empathize with that. Um, Amanda and I on the last episode just kind of talked about informed consent or lack thereof. And, and doctors are well-meaning most of the time when they prescribe the pill, but it's just, we're learning that it's not the answer necessarily for most of the problems that we're going to them for. Absolutely. And I could talk for hours about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you have your own podcast now. So I will That's definitely true, link yeah. to that. Yes, <laughs> I will link to that. And so now you're, are you a functional nutritional therapy practitioner? Is that your title? Yeah, I have several okay. certifications. Okay. Um, you know, the one that I think would probably resonate with me most right now is a pre and postnatal coach, okay. uh, cert- certified pre and postnatal coach. I'm also um, a functional nutritional therapy practitioner, a root cause protocol consultant, and a functional diagnostic nutritionist. Um, so, you know, I like to combine all of those sort of methodologies uh, along with tons of other research and traditional and ancestral wisdom and uh, pro metabolic and bioenergetic principles uh, mm-hmm. to bring a really functional approach to a functional and holistic approach at the same time to fertility. Yeah. And that is really evident in your course. Um, I loved going through it, even though I was pregnant with my third at the time, I was like, why didn't I have this? Um, But I still learned from it. And I think um, I'm just excited to get into it with you because needs change. Like you're saying that preconception and pregnancy. And um, can you talk to us just from a high level view about how things shift from preconception through pregnancy into postpartum in terms of your uh, nutritional needs? Absolutely. Yes. So it's kind of like uh, an uphill climb. There's a lot of research that points to a lot of women being, um, most women being nutritionally depleted in their reproductive years. Um, So just really understanding that it's really important from a baseline to be nourishing all the time. It's not just for pregnancy, not just for postpartum, but for optimal health and fertility and wellness, Mm -hmm. really nourishing yourself and focusing on understanding and getting tuned with your needs and what works for your body is going to be worthwhile regardless of pregnancy or postpartum. So um, don't hesitate to start today is basically Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, for preconception, you know, I personally like to bump things up a little bit in terms of nutrition, uh, just because we're trying to build nutritional stores. Those are the stores that our body will pull from uh, during pregnancy. And especially though, if we have something come up like morning sickness or, um, you know, let's say hypermesis gravidarum, like something that might keep us from eating, say we get sick you know, have the cold, a cold or a flu during pregnancy, we're not going to be able to intake all those calories and having a really intentional nutritional approach. Um, and just having that peace of mind that you worked on those nutrition stores and you have them kind of in your back pocket for when those things come up can, can really be helpful. Uh, because a lot of women, um, a lot of women experience morning sickness period, but then there comes this other worry about like, oh, am I hurting my baby? I, can't, I literally can't keep anything down. Like this sucks. 
Um, and yeah, it does suck. Uh, but, you know, you can kind of have that peace of mind that, you know, and that your body has those stores to pull from. I, I cur like to bump things up a little bit more, really focus on nutritionally dense foods in the preconception period to sort of prepare if we're working through any sort of, um, let's say, fertility issues too. Uh, we'll probably be focusing on specific nutrients depending on what the issues are. Um, or, you know, say if we're going through assisted reproductive, um, assisted reproduction, excuse me, um, there are certain things that you can consume and eat to support the success of that as well. So it really depends on what we're working on. But in general, you know, I kind of like almost like to start thinking of the preconception period as like we're eating like we're pregnant already. Mm -hmm. um, so in pregnancy, the need for calories doesn't necessarily, from a guideline perspective, <laughs> go mm -hmm. up. But if you talk to any pregnant woman, like, you know that their calories go up like <laughs> um, almost 50% or more for some women. And um, I'm not saying to do that, definitely listen to your body. But the micronutrient needs are exponential. Um, and sometimes things double, sometimes things increase by 50%. Um, but, you know, for example, uh, folate, which is a really hot topic that everyone likes to focus on, um, or maybe only focuses on <laughs> for pregnancy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, you know, your needs go up from 400 micrograms to 600 micrograms. That's a 50% increase. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of nutrients where there are severe underestimations as well. Um, so something like iodine, for example, there's not a lot of increase for pregnancy necessarily, but there's a lot of researchers coming out and a lot of experts in the field saying like, we are probably severely underestimating the hmm. amount of iodine that we need during pregnancy. And like uh, more is probably better <laughs> mm -hmm. um, as well as B12, choline, glycine, all these nutrients that um, are super important for building babies. So um, needs definitely go up. And, you know, I, I would encourage uh, somebody to definitely, if you haven't been focusing on nutrient dense foods in preconception, to really, really make sure you are in pregnancy. Um, and that's where, again, that preconception, those stores can really help. Uh, but there's never, a, it's never too late to start either. Mm -hmm. Like if you're already pregnant and listening to this and you're like, oh, I'm in my <laughs> 16th week. It's too late for me. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. You have the opportunity to influence your baby's health positively and your health positively at any point in your pregnancy. So uh, really just try to focus on nutrient dense foods. And by those, you know, I mean, organ meats, <laughs> muscle meats, like steak, organ meats like liver, bone broth, eggs, um, a lot of animal foods, because that's what's going to give you the most nutrition density <clears throat> per serving. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, high quality dairy um, and shellfish, fish, really lots of protein rich foods are going to have tons of minerals and vitamins in them. And then fruits and vegetables, of course, properly prepared. Um, you can also incorporate grains and things like that. Uh, but again, properly prepared. So just going back to what you were saying about how I talk a little bit about ancestral traditions, um, mm -hmm. there's this kind of lost art in terms of preparing our food properly as well, which is why there's so much fortification that may or may not be helping. <laughs> I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but also um, our, it helps our digestion. It helps our blood sugar regulation and it helps us build our nutrient stores so much more. And if we're trying to build our nutrient stores in pregnancy or at least trying to maintain them or you know, maintain a, a certain level of intake of a certain nutrient, we need to be focusing on proper preparations of these foods. Um, so not eating grains you know, just out of the bag you know, soaking your rice, uh, sprouting, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and, and getting sourdough, uh, but multi-day rise sour. It takes a little bit of investing into time as well, but 
you know, if you can make that part of your life and part of your daily habits, you'll be much better for it as well in terms of nourishing your children too, when they're here. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's and I now I'm trying to think. Is it when you soak grains, it makes B vitamins more bioavailable? Is that a thing? And then I know that like sauerkraut is way higher in like vitamin C than normal cabbage and things like that. It is really interesting. Well, yeah, um, the proper preparation will break down because plant foods have inherently uh, mm-hmm. something called anti nutrients, and there's a, many different kinds, and these anti nutrients will either disturb the absorption of the nu- the nutrient, which is typically um, what they do, but they also, they're toxins. So they cause irritation as well in our gut. And so um, by pr- properly preparing these plant foods, which are protective mechanisms to keep them being eaten in the wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is specifically vegetables and seeds and nuts, whereas the fruit, the fruit of a plant is specifically the way it is colorful, sweet, uh, juicy, because it wants the, the plant that it's coming from wants you to eat it mm-hmm. so that you can go spread its seed mm-hmm. through your feces yeah. or the animal's <laughs> feces. Um, that's why it's so beautiful and vibrant and delicious. It wants to be eaten versus like a plant that is a kale leaf or spinach or, um, you know, sunflower seeds or nuts, uh, they don't necessarily want to be eaten. They're hard and not super tasty or beautiful because um, they don't want to be eaten. So they have these protective mechanisms and Mm -hmm. they've evolved to protect themselves, but, and they're still really worthwhile to eat, but we just have to prepare them properly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have lost that sort of traditional knowledge that's been passed down from generation to generation. Certainly some of it was for me, like I knew that I had to rinse my rice, but still Mm -hmm. didn't like, still didn't uh, soak it properly. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I think a lot of it has been lost. So if we can learn to do that, um, we'll be way better off our family's health as well. And you'll be getting more out of your food, more nutrition. So Mm -hmm. suffice to say, learn that skill uh, <laughs> yeah. and then in pregnancy. So in pregnancy needs go up um, quite a bit. And then in postpartum, surprise, surprise, actually, depending on if you are going to breastfeed or can, you know, if it works out, um, if you are breastfeeding, your needs go even higher than pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And this is, um, I believe, another 50% uh, kind of averaging that yeah. um, in terms of calories, some nutrients, but uh, some nutrients like vitamin A needs to go up 60%. So mm. the desire to get back to your pre-baby weight or the desire to go on a diet immediately is not going to benefit either you or your baby uh, because we really need to be replenishing from pregnancy. It's it's like this. Uh, there's a there's a bucket with a hole in it. We're like putting water in it, and it's leaking out. Um, to maintain the water in the bucket, we have to constantly be replenishing it. We really have to focus on getting enough calories, getting enough uh, the specific micronutrients, which I can talk about as well, that are important for breastfeeding. Um, and it, it takes a while for the body to recover from pregnancy too. And all that recovery, all that tissue regeneration, all that reformation of tissue in your uterus um, is critical. Uh, It requires energy, it requires calories, it requires micronutrients, as well as thyroid health postpartum too, which is a really common time for women to develop hypothyroidism. Uh, Really try to resist the urge to drop the baby weight right away uh, and just kind of honor the time and allow your body to be. Yeah, I love the analogy of the bucket because I feel like when you're breastfeeding, that's like a very literal analogy. (laughs) You're still, still you know, not losing because you're giving it to your baby. But um, yeah, you you do need to constantly be refilling to to make that process work. So we're slowly starting to come out of this kind of 90s weird and even the early 2000s, you know, in the 90s, it was all about calories and calories in and calories out and 
in the early 2000s, I feel like it was more like, if it fits your macros, right? Like make sure yeah. you're eating enough protein. But it's like, now we're finally coming back to the nutrients and the nutrient density. And yeah, I mean, you don't need to eat a bowl full of kale salad. You're going to absorb it and digest it so much better if you cook it down in some like really high quality fat. And um it's so funny. Yeah. Even just yesterday, my five-year-old was like cutting onions with me. She's like, why are my eyes watering? And I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to explain why plants had to defend themselves. And I could tell she had just never thought of that before. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's a really great lesson you, you taught her. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I appreciate this so much and we can dive into micronutrients in a bit here. Yeah. Cause my next question is how do we eat for that recovery? Um, after delivering a baby, when you're wanting to produce milk, when your, your uterus and your pelvic floor and everything, even your skin, like just needs to kind of come back together. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so immediately following delivery, um, it's all about warm, and nutrient-dense foods. Uh, really, it's the idea of warm foods is based in a lot of Eastern medicine and mm. Eastern traditions, but traditional, tradi tr excuse me, ancestral traditions uh, from North America as well, let's say in Mexico, um, it's all focusing on warming the body uh, because that's going to help the body not expend as much energy and be able to focus on repairing um, whether you had a vaginal birth or a C-section, which would require even more sort of repair. Um, mm -hmm. And um, that cold food requires more energy to digest, but also it contracts a lot of the muscles that we're trying to mm -hmm. uh, keep blood flow going to. So you're digesting cold food, your stomach is very close to your womb, the abdomen is kind of one um, and it can kind of divert blood flow from uh, where it needs to go. Um, so we just want to kind of want to keep blood flowing open, all those channels really open the energy channels, the blood channels um, and warm foods are really going to help do that. Um, really uh, gelatinous foods are going to support that as well. So lots of stews, broths, soups, gelatinous and collagenous uh, cuts of meat. So like oxtails, um, knuckles, uh, and you can make them in broth or you can make stews and, and soups with them. Do you think even just like powdered collagen and gelatin are better than nothing in that oh, regard as well? Totally, totally. Um, I have a family member who had a baby recently and we, we don't necessarily have the same philosophies. Um, mm -hmm. But this is one of the things that she actually implemented from my suggestion. And okay. uh, she said it made a huge difference for her that she even noticed even with just a supplement. Um, mm. So yeah, whatever you can do. I mean, you know, everybody's got a different budget, lifestyle, that kind of thing as well. Um, but, you know, even just powdered collagen, powdered gelatin is worthwhile mm -hmm. to incorporate. Um, but lots of it, that's where the uterus contains so much collagen. Um, and so really to repair that tissue, to get the uterus shrinking back down um, and to support the regeneration of the tissue inside of it, to also support the sort of firmness because um, we have so much relaxing in our bodies to stretch so much ligaments during pregnancies to, to allow space for baby to grow. But um, to support that elasticity uh, to come back into the skin so that the, the skin can kind of start normalizing itself is important, uh, especially again, if you've had a C-section, you wanna really support that uh, closure of the surgical wound. Um, and um, yeah, I think collag collagenous foods, um, I would also say, and this is going into the micronutrients as well. Mm -hmm. So we Perfect. can go there. Yeah, just um, go there. <laughs> iodine rich foods are super important. Mm -hmm. um, iodine is mostly thought of thyroid um, as like a thyroid supportive mineral, which yeah, it's true, uh, but it supports skin regeneration. It supports also uh, tissues and glands. 
And mm -hmm. if we're going to want, if we're trying to make milk, uh, our breast tissue is going to need a lot of iodine. Um, and that's one that is like notoriously low in most women in general, just from the symptoms that they experienced and just looking at people's hair tests. Um, I'm not saying to go supplement it. That has to be done very mm -hmm. intentionally and specifically, but um, you know, you can incorporate iodine rich foods and that is also a very traditional thing, especially in Asian countries. That's part of a postpartum women's like diet. Um, they purposely feed women in Korea, I believe a seaweed soup mm -hmm. um, and uh, a lot of seaweed type foods. So um Incorporating. I was gonna ask, what are your other favorite? What are other sources of iodine? I just know about kind of seaweed and maybe shellfish. Yeah, seaweed and okay. shellfish are gonna be the top ones, mm -hmm. are the most like potent ones. Um, I would say if you're really trying to increase your levels, uh, dairy will have some iodine. Mm, it depends yes. what the cows have been fed. So uh now mostly cattle are supplemented iodine because of the okay for agricultural processes that have basically decimated iodine stores in the grass. Okay. Um, so they're supplemented iodine typically so that dairy will have iodine in it as well as eggs, um, which the chickens usually um, are also eating through the grass, but also potentially, I mm -hmm. think they might be supplemented it as well. So another nutrient that we really need and, and, you know, again, try to keep those things warm. So a seaweed doesn't sound particularly appetizing warm mm -hmm. necessarily, yeah. but, um, <laughs> you know, you can get those seaweed snacks and, uh, mm -hmm. throw seaweed in your rice, um, or broth. Mm -hmm. Um, that's something I like to do often is to just throw a slice of kombu, or just like cut up a bunch of nori and put it in random stuff. Another really important nutrient for breastfeeding and breast milk production is choline. Choline is really important for neurological development of baby. Um, that's really important for baby, but also choline will support uh, and help prevent you from getting mastitis. Mm -hmm. um, and so choline is in a lot of foods, uh, most commonly known in eggs. If you're intaking enough choline, that can be really helpful and you can hopefully avoid mastitis. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, there's extenuating circumstances all the time, yeah. but um, getting enough eggs. Uh, so like really getting those eggs in. Eggs are mm -hmm. such a fertility food. They're amazing and they're delicious. For the most part, most <laughs> people like them. Yeah. Um, so just like throw an egg into your rice bowl, throw an egg into a crack an egg in that broth um, and like stir it up mm -hmm. um, or just have warm eggs with, you know, for breakfast with, uh, I don't know, some fruit um, and a, a nice piece of sourdough and butter. Like mm -hmm. you can do so many things with eggs. It's a really versatile food. Yeah. Um, Even like custard desserts and, oh, and things like yeah. that. So there, I um, <laughs> am just dreaming of eggs because I'm breastfeeding a baby who's allergic to eggs. So oh uh, yeah. So I was worried about the choline factor and it seems like beef liver also has a lot of choline in it. So I've just been kind of focusing on that. Um, yeah, that's the next one I was going to mention. Yeah. Liver is such a rich source. I think it's actually more rich than eggs. Yeah, uh, I felt better when I saw that. Like, okay, I'm not totally going to lose out on choline when I go egg-free. Yeah, you won't. And yeah. chicken has some, mm -hmm. um, I believe garbanzo beans have some. Mm, yeah. Another, I can't remember any others right now. But I mean, um, I I do wonder if even sunflower, you know, like soaked and sprouted sunflower seeds, because yeah. sunflower lecithin has so much choline. And um, I do have a post on my. I actually have a post for all these nutrients on my page. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so I'll I'll link to them. To yeah, go look for them. Um, yes. So another nutrient that's really important as well is vitamin A. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I say vitamin A, I mean retinol. Uh, I'm not talking about beta carotene, which is typically what most people think of when they think of vitamin A. Um, so retinol is preformed vitamin A and beta carotene is pro-vitamin A. It needs to be converted. And um, 
well, just starting out, you know, the conversion rate is really poor, but also the more that you have to convert, the more, the, the less efficient you become at converting it. Hmm. A lot of people can get um, keratinemia, which is like their extremities turn orange. Um, and uh, another thing to note too, is about 50% of us have a genetic mutation that makes the conversion really, really even worse. So yeah. Um, you know, I have a question really quick. What, yeah. um, this is just because it's cold and flu season and I've seen people supplementing with vitamin A, not cod liver oil, just vitamin A in the form of retinal palm, palmitate, palamate. Mm -hmm. What it, where does that fall in kind of the hierarchy of vitamin A? Retinol palmitate is a synthetic form of retinol and vitamin okay. A. Typically, you know, I personally don't like supplementing with too much synthetic vitamin A because mm -hmm. the synthetic forms of vitamin A are the ones like, so I, I'm sure there's probably some people thinking like, oh, what vitamin A, I can't eat that. It's, you know, toxic and it causes birth mm -hmm. defects well actually <laughs> vitamin a is really important for preventing birth defects mm -hmm. where it can get really tricky is a synthetic form of a nutrient is never the same fully truly as uh, something from nature um and and that form the synthetic form too much of that can definitely cause birth defects um and so if you're consuming sources of synthetic vitamin a which the food system is supplemented with it. I'm sorry, um, it is fortified with it in some areas. Mm -hmm. So like dairy, for example, low fat dairy will have mm -hmm. synthetic vitamin A. Um, some, some processed foods will also have a synthetic vitamin A too, like from the middle aisle. So, you know, if you're taking sources from both food sources and then synthetics, some natural sources and synthetic sources, you're going to probably want to keep an eye on your intake. Uh, okay. if you're worried about that, granted when you're breastfeeding, the baby's already here. So you have to worry less about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for a cold and flu, like vitamin A is very antiviral and it's the original antiviral vitamin. Um, and it prevents viruses from replicating mm. and it's been used. Well, cod liver oil is a very rich source of vitamin A and has been used historically for cold and flus, preventing mm. and treating as men, as well as like many other things like measles and mumps. And so that's probably why you see people supplementing with that. My personal opinion is like, I would personally be supplementing with cod liver oil because it also mm -hmm. has vitamin D and vitamin D are very, and vitamin A are very synergistic as well. Vitamin A activates vitamin D and you're just getting a more natural sort of source. Nature likes to gift wrapped nutrients together mm -hmm. and it's providing this food and this amazing package um, that has, yes, this one nutrient, but also the other things that make it work the best. Um, so. Mm -hmm getting a natural source of vitamin A like cod liver oil or like uh, liver, which has tons of B vitamins too and minerals. And it's just a great, great food. It's nature's multivitamin. Um, it can make it work that much better in our bodies. Um, mm -hmm. That's not to say like synthetic vitamin A doesn't work. Um, it's just, you have to be more careful with it. So uh, that's probably why you see that. And then vitamin A is super important. Our needs go up so much during breastfeeding, like I believe 60%. And um, it's just really difficult to keep up with that because a lot of women avoid vitamin A rich foods um, because of the misinformation about vitamin A, but also um, I think they don't like, like a lot of women don't get liver in their diets. And mm -hmm. um, that itself is like a huge opportunity lost. Uh, so even just getting a couple ounces of liver in your diet every week is like, you are doing pretty well in that. Yeah. In that. Yeah. I can tell a difference when I'm like, mm, this month I have not been very good at that last month I was, and I felt a lot better. Um, mm -hmm. can you overdo it? I know you do have a post on vitamin A and pregnancy specifically. Can you overdo it with whole food sources? Do you think, or is it pretty hard to, I mean, you would eventually be averse to beef liver before you, kind of, that would be my thought. Yeah. I mean, like beef liver you, to house so much, like that's 
your body's going to kind of tell you, yeah, you know, <laughs> with cod liver oil too, it's like not the greatest tastiest thing to take, but yeah. Um, there are some people that do respond poorly to vitamin A. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think it's because of the vitamin A itself. There's something else going on with other nutrients and their metabolism. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very possible that if you start increasing your vitamin A, um, if if you did start, if you were the rare person that started to feel not great, um, there might be some other work that you wanted to do. Um, it is an essential nutrient, uh, but perhaps there's something else going on that um, you might want to look into. So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, with anything, it's it's possible to overdo anything. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of like the powdered supplements? Is it easier to overdo it on those or is it um, like powdered liver, powdered organs, or are they not as nutrient dense? So I've seen them work really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I find them super helpful, especially for people who are averse to eating liver and organ meats. I've seen them work really well on lab tests and also be um, just overall have positive feedback for how they make people feel. Mm-hmm. Um, some people it, with liver in general can not feel uh, super great when they start taking it. And there could be a number of reasons why as well. It increases the metabolism too. So if there's not enough of fuel or you know if the metabolic needs are not being met, some people um, can't take it alone. They need to take it with food or fiber as well because it can cause loose stools. So all these things you kind of want to start low and slow and mm-hmm. make sure to take note of how your body's responding because with anything that you introduce that's brand new to your body, um, it can, you know, your, your body might have something to say about it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not to like worry anyone about, oh, I scared to take liver now it's a great yeah. food you're yeah. you know don't miss out but um just keep in mind that with anything it's easy you know don't overdo anything and also respect that anything new your body needs time to adapt so we've talked about um vitamin a choline iodine are there any other micronutrients you want to hit on yeah a couple um a couple more B vitamins and choline is kind of like a cousin. Yeah. Um, uh, B12 is really important for neurological development and uh, babies need it. They need it and a deficiency in pregnancy or in the early uh, timeframe um, can lead to permanent changes in their brain. Um, so B12 is only found in animal foods and uh, in the highest amounts, a lot of shellfish, fish as well, and muscle meats. Um, so make sure you're getting those nutrients in regularly. Uh, those are kind of the, the fo- foods that have the highest amounts. Um, so, and, and if you know you're eating stews and broths, and you know you're having eat an occasional piece of fish with like a porridge on the side, like you're gonna get plenty. Um, so. Just make sure though that you're getting not just broth and dairy into your diet and eggs. Make mm-hmm. sure you're getting muscle meats and fish and shellfish. Another one that is really important is folate as well, um, which is everyone's favorite topic during pregnancy. But mm-hmm. um, there's actually liver is the richest source of folate, I believe, as well. Yeah, and I think so. Yeah. So if you're getting your liver and you're getting a really good amount in other food sources that contain folate are leafy greens, uh, but not as much as you might think. Um, Mm. Things like legumes are a much better source than leafy greens, Hmm. generally speaking. And then one last one is vitamin E. So vitamin E is another nutrient where the amount that baby gets completely depends on mom's intake and levels. Um, Vitamin E can be found in grass-fed meat, grass-fed butter, um, and properly prepared nuts and seeds. Uh, And so we want to make sure that you're able to extract the nutrients from them, but that the nuts are also fresh, the seeds are also fresh because vitamin E is very easily degraded uh, in sunlight, oxygen, and heat. Um, so making sure they're 
from a really good source and you can also look into supplementation as well. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Those are a great place to start. And um, I like just focusing on the food versions because again, most moms are not going to, you know, bring their baby home and go get a bunch of testing and change their diet and start all these supplements. Like we just need to focus on real food sources of these. So there, there's getting to be more focus on postnatal vitamins, but I think even when I had my first who's eight, nobody talked about, it was like, take your prenatals. And then nobody even mentioned just taking your plain old prenatal vitamin postpartum. And it's like, man, <laughs> what were we thinking? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's definitely a good idea to continue that for a time after. (laughs) Yes, for sure. So let's shift gears a little bit because another thing that you also talk a lot about, and I've learned a lot from you about progesterone um, in general. So, so when you're, you know, full-term pregnant, your progesterone and estrogen levels are sky high. Can we just talk really quick about what they do in early postpartum? And um, if or when progesterone supplementation might be helpful, because so uh, once you deliver your baby uh, um, within just a couple of days, your body's hormones start to re—they start to change, and typically we'll see a, a drastic drop because they were really, really high, especially in the third trimester. They kind of keep climbing until the, the baby comes, um, but they drop pretty drastically. Um, estrogen and progesterone—we're um, no longer pregnant and progesterone is a pregnancy hormone. Um, and we're probably not going to cycle for a while, which is how we would make progesterone again in significant amounts. Um, so they drop pretty drastically and, um, prolactin also goes up, which is what starts going up in the third trimester, um, especially, uh, to support breast milk production. Yeah. So is that helpful postpartum? Cause a lot, uh, initially there was some thoughts in the breastfeeding world that you don't want to supplement because it's going to just flush your milk supply. And now it's kind of coming out that that's not necessarily the case. Um, Mm -hmm. Women's mental health might benefit from progesterone supplementation if they're not cycling yet. Absolutely. So Dr. Katharina Dalton talks a lot about this and Mm -hmm. um, she helps women with PMS, but also postpartum depression as well. And uh, she actually called postpartum depression a hormonal disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and specifically a, hor- a deficiency of progesterone. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, while I don't necessarily agree with all of that, I think there's many reasons someone could be experiencing postpartum depression. Yes. Mm-hmm. But um, that is one of the possibilities is the drastic drop in all these really, uh, protective, but also hormones that support our well-being, and progesterone is definitely one of them. And so, supplementation can potentially help uh, kind of ease that transition. And um, you know, it is possible it could start to diminish breast milk supply, and that's something you'd want to watch out for. Um, but I've helped several mothers that are breastfeeding uh, clients of mine. Uh, start taking progesterone without having any issues with their supply. It can Mm -hmm. be done. Everyone's a little bit different. Um, It's possible it may also bring on your cycle sooner. It's possible it may delay your cycle. So, uh, you know, just know that uh, generally it could create some differences in terms of these markers, but um, they're not so drastic though. Usually it's not going to change things too, too much. and you can kind of play around with the dosage to find what's right for you that supports you with maintaining your breast milk supply as well. Um, some women can only handle a little, little bit, and mm-hmm. then their breast milk supply starts to diminish, but others can handle a really normal amount and their breast milk supply is totally fine. Um, so it's about the individual. Um, but yeah, I think it can be really supportive postpartum. Um, and if it's something that someone's thinking about, definitely do, do your research and make sure you understand exactly how to dose it mm-hmm. and, you know, understand kind of the implications of how to take it as well. Um, there's, you know, you can't just start taking it and 
not pay any attention to your nutrition or lifestyle. <laughs> Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's more, more to worry about. It has to be taken with care basically is what I'm trying to say, but, yeah. um, you know, it, it could be potentially really life-changing for somebody. Are there any resources for women or do you kind of have to work one-on-one with somebody at this point? Uh, as far as breastfeeding, mm-hmm. I don't know of any resources, unfortunately. And like okay. Katharina Dalton has a book, but it's like ancient and not yeah. really for, uh, and her doses are like very therapeutic and medical and like, okay, they're not for your average person taking bioidentical progesterone on their yeah. own. It's like prescription progesterone. So yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I haven't yeah. found that resource either. I don't know. Maybe we have a project in our future. Perhaps. <laughs> because it be it, yeah, it, it needs to be there. I have found it really helpful, but um, yeah, there's almost no information or the information that, that's there is for um, fertility purposes or <laughs> Like even, yeah, even like Katharina Dalton has informed a lot of the um, NAPRO, like Creighton method approach to fertility and postpartum. So they have some bioidentical progesterone injections, but you're, yeah, you're not going to do that yourself at home. And so, <laughs> yeah. And that's like, that's also like one large dose. Mm-hmm. I like with this, I think it's easier to maintain breast milk supply because you're mm. kind of titrating it and you can control the level versus like getting one mega dose at once mm-hmm. and that that will have more potential to stop breast milk production than like a little yeah. bit different types of progesterone and different delivery methods will provide different responses too and be absorbed mm-hmm. differently um it's kind of like a goldilocks situation like not only do you have to find the right amount, but you have to find the right sort of delivery method and um, the way that it makes you feel like it's not just about the porridge. It's about like um, the shape of the bowl or whatever, <laughs> if, you know, mm-hmm. we're trying to make a real analogy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, is she using a spoon or is she using a fork? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Cause like there's transdermal, there's vaginal suppositories, there's mm-hmm. um, oral and there's like uh, sublingual. And so um, it's, it's about really finding what works for you best because mm-hmm. different people will be very different and that's okay. There's yeah. just, it's an, it's an exciting field. And I think people are picking up on the benefits of it um and it it's hard to find information though so yeah it yeah, is. I, I will keep looking all right well do you want to dive into the listener questions sure let's do okay. it yeah we had a few here so one person asked if there are any foods to avoid while breastfeeding I know you get this with pregnancy foods a lot but what do you think about breastfeeding um you don't really have to avoid any food alcohol is generally speaking kind of like as long as you have good liver function, it'll be metabolized before it ever reaches baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with coffee to an extent as well. Um, mm-hmm. But it still can, there's still some transfer there. It's a stimulant. Um, let's see, any bad foods, of course, use your, be- use your best <laughs> judgment, common yeah. sense. Like, yeah. But um, generally speaking, no. Um, mm-hmm. I would just avoid, uh, if this is not really related to like foods, but doing any intense detoxification protocols Mm -hmm. or like Mm -hmm. doing like parasite cleanses, Mm -hmm. taking those really strong herbs, they can affect baby. Um, That's kind of, that's that's more along the line what I would avoid. Yeah, same. same. I mean, I don't, I'm like, well, you, you should avoid drinking so much alcohol that you can't drive. You should avoid marijuana. You should avoid illegal drugs. You should double check your prescription meds, but food wise, um there's a lot of freedom when you're breastfeeding so yeah there is and you know I think it's a good time to if you were avoiding um oysters for example like go Mm -hmm. ahead or raw oysters I mean yeah Yeah. um to to kind of what you're dealing with though pay Mm -hmm. attention to how your baby reacts to what you're eating as well Mm -hmm. um while there's not necessarily anything you might want to avoid outright 
if your baby starts reacting to specific foods, then um, that might be something you have to avoid temporarily or, you know, work through and, and kind of like triage. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, I don't know why I didn't think of that. You should avoid a food that your baby is reacting to. Negatively. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. And the next person asked, what are your top dietary priorities if budget is a concern? Any meat is going to be good. It's better than mm -hmm. fast food. Like we don't have to get organic all the time. We don't have mm -hmm. to, um, you know, if our budget isn't there, that's okay. Like conventionally raised meat is still going to be better than McDonald's mm -hmm. or not having meat at all conventionally raised dairy is still going to be better than not having dairy at all, or, you know, having again, fast food. Um, <laughs> so I think we don't need to overcomplicate it, like invest in the, the one or two items that you feel like you want to invest in. If it means, you know, uh, food of course is always going to take precedent over supplements. Mm -hmm. um, that is really key like we can't out supplement a bad diet but conventionally raised beef being in your diet doesn't mean you have a bad diet mm -hmm. um so just always keep try to keep i know it can get like very it can seem like there's a lot of pressure and like there's so many things that are like going to kill us and um <laughs> you know but our bodies are really resilient and um a piece of steak like is going to be totally fine if it's not from an, a grass-fed organic farm mm -hmm. like it's going to still have b12 and zinc and tons of nutrients that you and your baby need so um you know if you have a local raw uh, access to a raw milk then maybe that's where you spend your money um or if you have if you really like the taste of uh wild caught fish better than farm raised mm -hmm. fish then mm -hmm. invest your money there that's actually where i'd probably focus more on is the seafood mm -hmm. um if it were up to me just investing in some uh wild caught seafood uh if i had to choose between like dairy beef or produce hmm. um, okay. because of the heavy metals plastics that they're usually raised mm -hmm. with um but again, it's really about what you, what works for you in your situation and like what you feel like you want to invest in. If you love the taste of a grass-fed steak and you're feeling like that is going to fulfill you and fill your cup, then invest in that. Mm -hmm. So um, that's kind of what I would try to do. And there's definitely tons of things you can do to also save money, like go for the unwanted cuts, go for organ meats. Mm -hmm. um, cook in batches, shop at Costco, like, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, meal prep tons of food and freeze it. Um, there's, there's a lot other of other stuff you can do. Yeah. I, um, my husband will be thrilled to hear this. Cause he's like, do we have to buy the grass fed beef every time? And I'm like, I don't, I feel like we do. So, I mean, <laughs> groceries are so expensive. Lately. Oh my gosh. It's Seriously. crazy. My grocery bill is, is like, and we don't even, we're pretty balanced about it. Like we get yeah. some organic, some conventional, we, we get a actually cow share. So like mm. there's other ways to save. Like if you can find a local farmer and get like tons of meat, it's a yeah. higher investment upfront. Um, mm -hmm. But over the course of the year, you'll save a couple hundred dollars at least. And, uh, but yeah, groceries have been out of control. I don't know. It's, even just in the last month, I'm like, what happened? Like, this was a yeah. short grocery list. This is out of control. Same. <laughs> and, we're, and we're buying like the, sorry, this is just a tangent, but like we're buying the raw ingredients too. You know, I'm not buying like all this pre-prepared, imported from France, whatever. I'm like, I am literally buying meats and vegetables and like oatmeal and yogurt. <laughs> like what mm -hmm. is happening? It's crazy. I feel okay. this person's question. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but that is great. That is great. Yeah. So, so prioritize the seafood. I like that food over supplement. <sighs> Would you prioritize grass fed beef liver still over yes. conventional beef liver? Okay. Organ meats. I would for yeah. sure. The taste is so different. Mm. And if you're trying to incorporate liver 
and not trying to hate your life, get, <laughs> yeah. get grass-fed liver because okay. the conventional stuff is disgusting. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't think I've tried conventional. So, um, okay. It is <laughs> yeah. just like pure iron. It is mm, so okay. smelly. And okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So will this transition us right into the next question, which is how do you recover from postpartum hemorrhage? Oh, that's a great question. Um, one of my students, I actually just um, <laughs> helped uh, get her hemoglobin levels back up and skyrocketed okay. back up five points, which okay. is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, postpartum hemorrhage. So we're losing blood and blood is not just with iron, but mm -hmm. it contains tons of other things. And we also need tons of other things to actually create new red blood cells. So yes, iron will be an important piece. But we'll also need B vitamins. We'll also need zinc and magnesium and vitamin A and C. And so getting foods that are rich in that and organ meats are going to be a great source of that. Mm -hmm. um, if you can definitely get organ meats like liver, if you can do kidney, spleen, any of those things that, you know, your butcher can uh, provide you um, and going to the butcher will be cheaper for these organ meats. They're usually unwanted Um at local butchers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the local local yeah. people don't really know about it yet. Yeah. Um uh but um you know uh, even with the farm share too like I got um the person that I was sharing um the quarter cow with didn't want their organ meat so I got mm. it. Wow. And um for free. And yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so like looking for these organ meats they're going to be super super dense in nutrients and a lot of these blood building nutrients um of course getting a lot of um uh, muscle meats as well they'll have b12 which you need uh, zinc again iron copper um and um getting shellfish too also super high in b12 again really important nutrient for new red blood cell production um mm. Really, they have other B vitamins too, other micro minerals like um, not micro minerals, minerals like mm. zinc and copper and iron. Shellfish is also uh, rich in iron, and um, getting vitamin A rich foods too, so that that will help the utilization of iron. And even just uh, taking vitamin A can also uh, has been shown to increase iron levels alone. So, okay, getting vitamin A is really important for new blood cell production and iron regulation if we're trying to recover especially our energy stores because um, mm -hmm. we can often feel really tired if we've hemorrhaged um, so um, and vitamin a rich foods include again liver uh, high quality dairy um, you can take cod liver oil um, fatty fish as well like mackerel mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, bluefin tuna and um, salmon as well has okay. a pretty decent amount of vitamin A. Yeah, get your minerals in. Uh, there's some herbs that you can look into taking like chlorophyll, mm -hmm. uh, getting vitamin C rich foods too, tropical fruits um, are, are gonna be really, citrus as well can be really rich. But um, yeah, I would say focusing on those and without knowing more, that's kind of what I would do. Yeah, perfect, yeah, yeah. Hopefully you have some of those things already in your freezer. So the next question, I'm curious. I mean, I think I kind of know where you're going to go with this, but the next person asked, how do you limit carbs if you're told to avoid them with PCOS? Well, <laughs> I would maybe look into getting a second opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't Especially have to when you're breastfeeding. And this mom, this mom was breastfeeding and had PCOS and was told to limit carbs. I was like, oh, you might be a little tired if you... Yeah, I think it depends, that. like, yeah, who they're working with, um, yeah. if their blood sugar levels are being tracked, how they're tracking their blood sugar levels. Um, so I think it depends on who the person is working with, how they're tracking their blood sugar levels. If it was just a blanket statement, like you have PCOS, you need to avoid carbs, mm -hmm. then that's not really helping anyone uh, because the mom needs carbs, the baby needs carbs. And so, um, 
you know, protein and fat are definitely going to be actually, I think, more important nutrients that need to be prioritized for breast milk production, mm -hmm. but we still need to be getting carbohydrates. That's mm -hmm. going to help us with our energy as new mothers and, uh, you know, when we're tired. <laughs> and yeah. um, so um, I think, you know, I'd want to know more, like, how are you, how do you know that you need to limit carbs? What mm -hmm. were your blood um what did your labs look like and how are you measuring them? And are you measuring, are you going to get another lab set of labs done? Um, is it more just a blanket statement again, or is it, you know, something that we actually have data on to confirm that you need to do? Of course, you know, in regards to blood sugar balance, always try to have carbohydrates with protein and fat. Mm -hmm. That's going to help regulate the utilization of carbohydrates, but um, we also can't really have just protein alone either. That's going to also cause blood sugar problems. So making sure you're getting balanced meals and, uh, you know, I think everyone wants like a ratio for macros. I can't give mm -hmm. you that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's different for everybody, uh, but trying to find a ratio of macros that suits you and supports you throughout the day um, is going to be key to try to pay attention to. So do you need more protein in relation to carbs? Do you need a little bit of fat or do you need a lot of fat and a little carbs? Like trying to find a, a balance that will support you and keep you fueled and feeling good. And you can use blood, um, sorry, uh, temperatures and pulses mm -hmm. to kind of see how your body's responding to these foods and the combinations. Um, so that could be one way that you could try and experiment with. It is more work granted, like you might want to <laughs> wait a couple months until you're, you're, uh, have some kind of routine to start introducing more things to do for yourself, but, mm -hmm. uh, understanding and interpreting temperatures and pulses for yourself and how you're responding to food could be a good start. I think this is often a blanket statement for a lot of people with hormonal issues. And, um, I think breast milk is human breast milk is higher in carbs than any other mammalian milk. I'm like, we need, we do need carbs to make milk. Um, please don't go keto when you're breastfeeding. You might feel good for a while, but you're not going to feel great for long. So, um, uh. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's like we talked about properly preparing your grains, you know, maybe you do want to limit your grains, maybe and increase yeah. like your, your fruits and roots and your things that are easier to digest, but you're not reducing the carbs per se. So yeah, right. Yeah, you can yeah. play around with the carbs. That's also a really good point, Therese. Yeah. Yeah. So what encouragement do you have? You kind of touched on this for a mom listening who's new to this information, maybe feeling overwhelmed by the idea of adding an organ meat. She's never done that. Things like that. What encouragement do you have? Start small. You don't need to boil the ocean. You know, it, it might seem like, oh my gosh, there's so many things that I need to do now. And like, ah, pick one thing and mm -hmm. work on it until you master it. You don't have to do everything. And trying to do everything is really unrealistic and unsustainable, and it's not going to make you feel good when you don't get to do everything. <laughs> so yeah. um, doing one thing, getting really good at it, and then moving on to the next thing that you, when you're ready to take another thing on um, can be helpful so that you are also successful and it's sustainable. Um, so for example, if you are just trying to eat food throughout the day um yeah. try to because it's easy to not eat when you're like at the mercy of your newborn's uh mm -hmm. feeding schedule and like you know you're tired and they're sleeping and like you have all this other stuff to do um maybe as part of you know your work you'll try to eat something when they're eating that's what you try to do yeah. just to start and then from there, you can try eating something balanced once you master that. So, okay, what am I eating? Is it protein and carb? Good. So try to eat protein and carb while they're eating. <laughs> yeah. You can make that a routine too. Um, I think it's called... Um, like habit um, stacking? Or habit stacking, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's perfect. When, that's great. When they're eating, it's your cue to also eat and reminder to also, you need to feel yourself as well. And so you can kind of habit stack or just kind of focus on one thing at a time, but um, also give yourself grace. You're taking on a lot and nothing's going to ever be perfect anyway. So if you miss it, if you don't complete it, like it's okay. 
the world is not going to end and there's always another time to try and another day, another week. And, you know, so just give yourself grace because that's also part of um, creating habits that you want to and um, that will make you feel good. Yeah, that's a great point. I love that. So to end on a positive note here, what is one habit that's working well for you right now? Ooh, um, that's a really lovely question. Um, <laughs> I have made it a point to lately have really slow mornings hmm. um, and to not do anything until I have fed myself and have had my coffee and then I will do the things. It is so easy to just start working or like emptying the dishwasher or putting a load of laundry in or you know getting the mail or I don't know even just silly things like that Mm -hmm. um opening your phone uh checking your email like it's really easy to do that I've really been focusing on having time for myself so I can start my day in a really supported way um and that's been working wonderfully for me (laughs) <laughs> good yeah I love that it started off on the right note and it's easier for other stuff to fall into place so mm-hmm. thank you so much for talking today Lauren I really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us thanks for having me Therese it was it was a pleasure thank you so much for tuning in to milk and motherhood today don't forget to check out the show notes for links to some of the things we talked about If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends or leave a review to help other people find us here. As always, you can find me on Instagram at happy.mama.healthy.baby or on the internet at happymamahealthybaby.co. See you next time.